Hi everyone, I'm Kara Scott and welcome to the Heart of Poker sponsored by 888 Poker where we aim to get to know the people behind the cards. I used a slightly modified version of the questions from the 36 questions to fall in love study. These were developed by psychologists 25 years ago as part of an experiment to see if they could make total strangers fall in love with a kind of shortcut for getting to know someone on a deeper level fast. And my guest this time is Brandon Shaq Harris, American mixed games poker pro, two World Series bracelets, and someone who brings a lot of heart and a lot of fun to the tables. If you were watching the World Series play out on social media, you definitely saw his influence, you know, bringing the joy, whether it was umbrellas at the table, teeny tiny hands, or showing love for all the grandmas around the world via Twitter. So thanks for coming on, Brandon. I appreciate it. Thanks. I forgot about the grandmas and the and the hand part of, of World Series of Poker. <laughs> I never forget about them, but I, I, yeah, I forgot that was part of it. Um, there are quite a things. Like, what was it that made you want to bring more kind of to the poker table, to the poker community than just, you know, sitting down, playing the game itself? Uh, <clears throat> you have to, like, forgive me a little bit. I've been kind of regress. I've been Benjamin, Benjamin buttoning lately. Uh, like, we're... <laughs> like the reverse puberty kind of thing. My voice has been like a, a disaster lately. So, um, oh. <clears throat> so, so the answer, I guess, is to overcompensate. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <clears throat> um, it's mostly, I don't know. Our, we have some really great people within our community. Um, there, there tends to be like a fair amount of negativity um, in certain situations uh, within certain social groups. Uh, and I just want to make sure if I'm playing poker that I'm having the best time possible. And if it rubs off on people, then that's cool. And if it doesn't, then like, it doesn't really bother me at all. I don't know. Um, then they, then yeah. like, then hopefully I win some pots and they lose to the guy who looks like a, an asshole. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I think this year, I mean, I couldn't go to the World Series, unfortunately, pandemic and all of that, and just kind of personal situation meant I couldn't leave the country. But I was watching a lot of it. And I don't know if it's just I've been better at choosing who to follow on social media, or if it was more positive, but it seemed like there was so much positivity that I could see. And I and it was really fun to watch, considering I was like at home thinking, oh, I really wish I could be there. This is like brutal to not be there. It actually was so nice to see just kind of some silly things and some people supporting each other and just, I don't know, did it feel like good vibes at the table? Yeah, overall, it was incredible. Um, definitely wouldn't have done the umbrella thing unless I was sat next to people <laughs> who, who didn't mind. Um, yeah. So that there was clearance there. And then we got like the little hand gets involved for the draw games because there's just so many great actions you can do with a little hand in draw games, padding and, <laughs> and like, uh, yeah, I mean, checking in all games, of course, but just drawing and padding is so much more fun with a little hand. I had like a ton of them on deck and our whole table was so great. Uh, we, everyone wound up having like a little hand at my dealer's choice table. And, nice. uh, Heather Alcorn is, uh, one of the greatest dealers of all time. I got it. Amen. Yeah. I agree with you there. She she was sat at she played a whole bunch of events this year, which was fucking awesome. And she was at yeah. she was to my direct right, so we had a whole bunch of fun. Um, they had like this uh, this button. I mean, like the from the bargain bin. It was like it was like <laughs> the like the chintziest button uh, like in history. Um, 
and you couldn't see it, but I had these LED candles, so we turned um, the button turned into the candle, or the candle was the button, and we were just passing the candle around. <laughs> uh, everyone had their little hands. That was great. Um, <laughs> and then uh, we lost a few grandmas this past year, unfortunately, mine being one of them. Yeah. Uh, I'm and sorry. thanks, I appreciate it. Very lucky though. Um, yeah. I mean, to have had a grandma like that, obviously. Yeah. Um, although she's pretty morbid, and she she used to always just say, "No matter what, don't get don't grow old." So. Um, uh, yeah, she's, she's intense, but like we share dark humor. So, um, in the spirit of that, very lucky for her. Um, she would laugh. Sorry. I know that's, that's, <laughs> um, anyway, so we had a bunch of people like sending in grandma pictures. Uh, I don't use my social media that much. I guess I kind of pop in, in and out, like when mm. I want to be there. So I still have grandma pictures that need to be, um, honored. But yeah, yeah, we got a, a few through. The grandmas came came through for at That's least. Nice. A, I was I was going to send you one of mine, but I wasn't at home, so I couldn't like cause I was away at the time, and I couldn't uh, send you one of mine. But you'd have loved it. She was a great woman with a very dark sense of humor as well. I think she probably oh, nice. would have gotten on with your grandma. <laughs> yeah, I wish we had, yeah. <laughs> she could have made that happen. MS paint me your grandma, and I'll retreat it for sure. <laughs> Do a nice stick, grandma. Yeah. Superimpose yeah. yourself in there. Well, so you and I don't know each other. And I mean, this is kind of the first time we've spoken. But before this, we were talking about, you know, going through some of these questions. And it, it, it does get pretty personal. And I said, you're you know, welcome to ask any of them back at me as well. And uh, we're kind of going to dive in. The first one starts off pretty easy, honestly. Um, did you ever want to be famous growing up? And, you know, you're pretty well known in poker. So has that changed your life at all? Um, I never wanted to be like... I mean, uh, being, I don't know, this is kind of, it's kind of a weird question. Like, I don't think you can be famous and as a poker player, I think that's silly. Um, and I never, <laughs> I never wanted to be famous. No, but, um, there was a point, uh, after my mom passed when I was 15, um, I was trying to make sense of, which I don't know. She had a pretty rough life, um, mm. kind of got the, the worst of things, never got a break. And we grew up pretty religious. Uh, I kind of fell, fell out of that. She held on to it. I kind of fell out of it. Um, but still, you know, at that age, I was definitely, I mean, you you always are, but especially then I was trying to make sense of everything. And at the same time I was reading, um, <clears throat> about, uh, something called like the peak oil crisis or whatever, which I don't think exists at this point. Um, I haven't, uh, but at the time it was just like, what happens if we reach a point where, um, we don't have the supply to, to meet, to, to meet the demand, uh, uh with regard to oil, or, like the hyperinflation, how like it kind of cuts out the middle class and, you know, like it's more polarized between upper class and lower class and kind of what that looks like if, if something like that happens. Um, and it was kind of freaking me out. So then at the same time, I was kind of trying to understand the purpose of life at all. Like what's the point of getting up at all? If like everything that we've ever done is going to be rendered obsolete, um, why bother? And so, yeah. uh, trying not to, trying to cut this short, I guess I, I came to my conclusion, I guess at the time, I mean, all it's, 
it seems like a moot point kind of because like eventually everything is it's like a zero sum game you know maybe unless we're in some weird sim and blah 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 all, all this stuff like there are definitely more uh, possibilities out there now relative to when I was you know 15 uh, but at the time I decided that like the purpose of life is to preserve our our past and ensure our future so like the things we've done throughout history have merit because there are still people around to like talk about them and maybe we right. have to make some concessions on on with regard to our priorities um and you know i'm not trying to turn this into like <clears throat> some communist socialist blah 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 i'm, I'm too stupid no for that way. anyways well i'm just <laughs> i'm just dumb uh in any case i just felt like we need to uh, reconfigure our priorities and find a way to just make sure that like we exist as a species, I guess, mm-hmm. and have that be the big win. Um, yeah. And I remember writing this big paper and, um, and then, uh, and then my computer blew a fuse and I lost it. And um, it was kind of like my, my plea, I suppose, like, uh, like a plea to re-evolve as a species, I guess. And it kind of talks about like the obsolution of, or how like money was maybe a good idea at some point, And it, it's kind of outdated and just all this, just all this stuff or whatever, which is weird because like crypto's here now. And I was the first person to be like, no, Mike on, I'm not going to buy Bitcoin at $1, you know, and, and <laughs> live on Bitcoin Island with you. I'm just going to like stick to my poker skills. Um, but I wrote this paper, like kind of talking about how like we need to, look into some other options or whatever. In any case, I turned my computer on, it was gone. And I'm like, wow, maybe I'm in over my head here. Maybe this is a sign. Like I shouldn't try to start some weird cult as a moron, you know, I don't, I don't know. Um, and, uh, but I found, I wound up finding it in my drafts like three years ago. And I, I, I oh, wow. but I'm like, I'm too embarrassed to, read it so it's just kind of really it's kind of have you not read it or did you start and just go oh yeah i can't finish this no i saw it in there and i'm like holy shit i still have this thing and i'm like i cannot touch no like i'm (laughs) it's just like i know it's just like too cringe i will at some point but yeah um yeah in any case i i kind of wanted to have i i was doing a lot of music and i figured um i'm really hard on myself uh and and i do think i have an okay okay uh, ear so I figured if I, if I were happy with what I did, it'd, it'd do fine. And I, I had a good networking group. So I kind of wanted a platform to talk about things that meant a lot to me mm-hmm. for, for that reason. And also as a way to honor my mom, um, I just want like her presence to be felt by more people. She was a very generous and giving person. So mm-hmm. um, not famous at all, for sure. Um, and never will be, but it's nice to have a, a larger audience to, you know, to share, share your voice with, I guess, even yeah, if it cracks it all the time. Impactful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hmm. Uh, what about you? Um, I don't think I wanted to be famous when I was a kid younger than 15. I had a whole massive personal crisis where, I mean, I was always kind of convinced we were living in a sim. This is like back in the 80s. So I don't even think we had words for that at that time. But I was pretty convinced of it. I was a I was a weird kid who read things that were way, way too complicated and, you know, psychologically 
strange for a kid my age. So I, yeah, I had a lot of really weird ideas about the world and it took me in a very strange direction. And at some point I, my, I realized that for me, the point of life was to make things better for other people. And now as an adult, I've got to be honest, I'm not entirely sure that's the healthiest approach when mm. it's like single-minded. Sure. Um, because it, it ends up in sort of like a kind of martyrdom no matter yeah. what you do. And that's not, yeah. That's you shouldn't right. like set yourself on fire to keep somebody warm kind of situation. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah, and I kind of did go sort of that direction. Not obviously literally, but um, yeah, Relatable. I think that's, yeah, that's kind of where I was at, especially when I was a teenager and as a kind of a young adult, my whole thing was about, you know, subsuming the self and to helping other people. And so, yeah, famous never really got a look in. And then when I was, you know, in my late 20s and I had moved to England and I was working as a teacher and and that was exhausting and I kind of quit that. I started thinking about acting and I was terrible at it. <laughs> really, 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 really bad. But I did some and I did some film work and I did some TV work and then I ended up in production and I just really loved everything about it. And I loved that feeling of doing a job and having it go well. And, and then I ended up as a, a t- like a TV host, a presenter, we called it in England. And that was kind of my niche. And then it felt good to have people, you know, at the World Series to come up and say, oh, I really love your work. And it always made me feel like, oh, I'm doing a good job and people really like it. And so, yeah, in that sense, being famous was like poker famous. Like you say, we're not famous. (laughs) That's not in the real world. It doesn't matter. Nobody gives a shit. But poker famous was kind of fun. I got to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We were still kind of doing the, I mean, you're still kind of doing the thing where like you're, giving to other people like through your work you know what I mean like uh, <laughs> you're giving other people a platform to you know you're being a conduit kind of to get other people's voices out there still that's still kind giving. of how I thought about it yeah. yeah especially in the beginning was like I never kind of wanted to do interviews about myself or anything so I was like no it's my job to like dig into the other person to help highlight who they are like so kind of putting more of myself into things. It wasn't something I wanted to do. And then I became like a poker ambassador and I had to, I was really uncomfortable. And, uh, and now I do this podcast and I like half of it is me talking about myself and I'm like, I don't even know who I am anymore. <laughs> Look at me talking about myself. It's awesome. It's so, so yeah. weird. Yeah. It's crazy. And, but it, yeah. And it's also weird because like, uh, well shit, I had some, I don't know, uh, based on like just what you said in the beginning, like when you were, young you already thought you were living it's like you're clearly a very interesting person um it's interesting that you didn't want to share more of yourself with other people um like why do you think that is is it i don't did do you feel like you just thought like you just gave everybody credit for being interesting or was it self-deprecating or was it like shyness or i'm curious to hear what you thought the sim world looked like or whatever, what, what you were, <laughs> what you were thinking when you're that age. Oh, well, when There's I was a just a kid, there. I thought there was some sort of, it was, it was like some kind of sim or alien zoo. I grew up in a mm. really small town and there were a lot of people in our area, in the wider area that kind of looked the same. They, everyone kind of looked a lot alike. Interesting. And it just, it became this thing when I was a kid where I was like, 
there just has to be more to the world than this. If I'm in this place and it's huge, geographically enormous, but there are very few people in it and a lot of them follow, you know, very clear types or look very similar. Um, it just seemed to me that it was some sort of, like, yeah, like alien zoo where a few of us were there to live out our lives. Like I yeah. was a weird kid. Like we're talking <laughs> next level, like super strange there weren't a lot of people i mean we didn't have a lot of friends because there weren't a lot of people there and it was very empty and yeah i think i didn't talk very much about myself when i got older as well because i i thought that for a lot of people they probably couldn't relate like i grew up in a, in a pretty strange way we you know we lived in the middle of nowhere we didn't have indoor plumbing till i was a teenager like mm. we had a very kind of you know, in some ways, a very basic existence that in those ways, you know, we had a wood stove that kept our house from freezing in the winter and an outhouse for, you know, what you needed to do. Like it, it wasn't something that people when I moved to London could relate to, especially, mm -hmm. you know, small town Canadian girl with this kind of uh, an upbringing. And then I moved into poker worlds and I was like going to Monte Carlo and, you know, hosting these huge the toilets everywhere. Yeah, toilets everywhere, man. And they were marble. It was amazing. They weren't even like wood with the little moon in the door. <laughs> but yeah, so I just, I think, I didn't think a lot of people could relate to it. So I just never really, never talked about it. So. Did you have like, did you have dreams at that age that, uh, okay, since everybody looked the same and you were in a small place, it you automatically, it, it, it would totally like reinforce the idea that like you're the main character and like in this mm. weird like this solipsistic kind of like situation did you have like dreams that reinforce that too or were there any yeah did you have like <laughs> I, I remember I, I would have this dream it was so weird um I had it multiple times where uh everything was like black and purple and I would I would be looking like uh I'd be, um, it was like an out of body situation where I'm looking down from like overhead and I'm watching myself like go to a urinal and some guy walks up to me. He's like, he's like, uh, this is a game. Like you're the main character. <laughs> something, something like weird like that. <laughs> this guy would always visit me in the urinal and tell me that like, it's all fake or something like that. When wow. I was, it was like a, it was a dream I would have when I was like 10. It's like the one reoccurring yeah. dream that I remember. It was really bizarre. Huh. Did you have any of those? Is, yeah, I had really vivid dreams. I've always been a super vivid dreamer. So like, and colors were always really important, especially purple, which was like a royal color. So it was always, I mean, I had grandiose dreams as a kid. I, like I said, I read so much and I read a lot of like Victorian literature as well and I, I read a lot of sort of classic stuff as well as doing a ton of sci-fi fantasy just like a lot so I tended to dream like fairly heroic scenarios mm. and mm. I think it was always just to the side of the hero like or I was like the unexpected hero it was never like me leading troops or anything to like to victory or whatever but it was always really fun adventurous kind of stuff and yeah, I'm grateful. My parents really believed that um, reading was important and books were important. And I'm really lucky that I'm able to read as well as I am. So even as a kid, all three of us, my sister and brother and I just read voraciously. And like for bedtimes, if we had been good that day, we could get an extra half an hour reading time. So for us, reading was like this huge bonus. Mm. And so, yeah, just all of these amazing kind of fantasy worlds and, you know, 
that could have been part of my disconnect with people as well. <laughs> when you talk like a Victorian, like lady, when you're nine, <laughs> um, yeah, most kids probably don't really want to play with you. So, <laughs> do you ever hear this band called Rasputina? No, I haven't. I feel like nine-year-old you would for sure love them, but and like if you were into <laughs> dark stuff or whatever, but um, they're this band. This it, they started out as like a three-piece. Um, these three women who would like dress up all Victorian, like, like huh. kind of gothy Victorian. And, um, yeah. she had like the singer Melora has like this really pretty like vibrato and, uh, uh, they're three cellists and they have like pickups hooked up to their cello. So like, it'll go from like really classical to like really heavy. Um, and all the, the, all the, the themes of the songs are all these like, uh, just points of, of, history or whatever but they're kind of like the darker sides of history like being a leech wife and all these kind of things i feel yeah i love that shit when i when i was a kid especially like this was great it seems like something that you might have gotten into and you might you might want to check out at some point just i think i will yeah Yeah, i think it it really would have kind of fit that because even i mean growing up we raised a lot of our own food like a lot of people in the area did like we had a massive garden and we would can food for the winter but also my parents were extremely knowledgeable about the like the herbs the herb life in in our natural area and what could be used for what in terms of like medicine or pseudo medicine and so we did a lot of like picking and drying or making tinctures or making teas Mm -hmm. I I say we my parents did they they knew what they were doing so yeah my mom I remember sometimes people from town although they did look at us with some suspicion the entire time we lived there because we came in late, you know, our family hadn't settled the area, so to speak. Hmm. So we were always kind of looked at as outsiders, no matter how long we lived there. And, but I remember someone who was a, um, he was a mechanic and he'd opened the radiator cap on a car. So obviously not a very good mechanic, um, before the engine was cool. And so all the hot steam came out and burned it really badly. And I mean, where we lived, it was an hour to get to the nearest hospital by car as fast as you could go. So they brought him to my mom and she like put all of her creams and tinctures and then was like, like take him the fuck to the hospital because this guy needs proper help. Mm -hmm. But he ended, he didn't even have any scars afterwards. So yeah, I think that probably would have that kind of very, yeah that almost like hedge witch kind of existence is I think how the town kind of saw our family as well, you know, poor and weird. So that stays with you as a kid for sure. Yeah. But All right, but next who, who do they come, who do they come oh. to though? When, when someone yes. gets like, you know, right. Who do they come to exactly. of course. And she delivered like my mom, she knows what she can do and what she can't do. And she's not going to mess around with someone's health. And she was like, here, this is good. Now go. But she delivers, man. She's a very smart woman. She continues to be the smartest person I know. So, yeah. Nice. Um, all right. So I listened to you or saw you on the Rake podcast with Jamie Kerstetter and Ben Malinowski. And you talked about how important music was in your life, uh, how it actually brought you to poker. Super interesting story. If you guys out there have not seen that episode of the Rake, you should because it's really, really good. Um, but what part does music play in your life now? Now... It's, uh, it's something I do when I need to do something that is going to be a hundred percent like joy, you know, a hundred percent reward. Um, the way I studied it back in the day, I always found like it, whenever, whenever someone asked me how to start learning an instrument or whatever, I would always say like, 
in the beginning you're going to suck, so find a song that would be awesome to play while you suck, and just start learning that song, rather than um, learning theory or whatever. It's it's not mm -hmm. fun to work on scales while you're awful. It's like really arduous. Um, but if you're playing like the first three notes of one of your favorite songs, you're like, holy shit, I'm playing this song that so-and-so wrote. Like, this is great. Um, and it just kind of keeps you going. So um, I had a disc, like I was removed from um, a, a life of knowing my real dad until fairly recently. Um, uh, when I did know him as a kid, he wanted me to work on scales. I just boycott ever playing anything at all. Um, and then now we get along really well, but he's still like, Oh, like, why don't you learn theory? Why don't you learn jazz and blah, blah, blah. And like music is just the one thing where I don't want to, I want to take the ignorance is bliss approach. I want like mm -hmm. every discovery moving from like chord to chord to be something that's, that I didn't, that was unexpected. I don't want to know that. Okay. You know, I have a good idea that like certain formations are going to make something pretty or whatever, or something that I like mm -hmm. to hear, but I don't know for sure. And I don't want to know. Um, so yeah, it's whether it's something really, you know, sad and, and I'm sad or, you know, something heavy or happy or whatever, it, you know, it's never, a, it's just always a rewarding time. I always feel like I did something productive with my day. So it's like in a, a, a cathartic kind of situation for me now. And, and eventually I'll, I want like to write a record of just classical pieces, a record of like ambient stuff, something that just kind of fuses the things I like, like really heavy stuff, melodic stuff. I don't know. I, I I'll do some stuff eventually if as long yeah. as I, my joints don't give out on me. Um, but that it's my escape right now. Yeah. Do you worry about that? Your joints giving out on you? Yeah, it's probably like my biggest fear right now. Just all the really between like um skateboarding and i did a lot mm -hmm. of like like aggressive inline stuff when i was a kid like jumping off staircases mm -hmm. and stuff and when you when you when you do like the rail grinds on roller blades you have to bend your you bend your feet a lot um mm -hmm. which isn't great and then uh all the muay thai and uh yeah just my whole body kind of cracks and uh I'm constantly kind of adjusting myself. Um, mm -hmm. So especially, and, and uh, I kind of go overboard. So our, our Muay Thai class, usually it goes for an hour and then like, I'll just stay after for like three more hours sparring everybody until we all get tired. And I mean, the next yeah. morning is brutal. Like right now, I, I know that I saw that you did some Muay Thai, so I'm kind of curious how that was for you. But um, yeah. yeah, I woke up today like my ribs are bruised, like Oof. it, like my sternum hurts. It hurts to do like push-ups. I like hmm. at least half of my toes are like bruised or fractured. Just, I, just everything Damn. is everything is like everything is a mess. Uh, and uh, I love yeah. it so much. I just <laughs> keep wanting, I keep wanting to go back for more. So, what do you love about it though? Like, what specifically? is what you love about Muay Thai because um, I, I loved it as well. So I'm always curious to know what other people feel out of it. I like, um, the more limbs you incorporate, 
uh, in a fighting style, like the more theory, the more I, I, I view everything as music. I view poker as music and um, Muay Thai as music and just yeah. you have more options in Muay Thai. Um, and there are so many nuances within each option that that's so much fun. Um, and then from a poker standpoint, there's a lot of balance, balancing your techniques. Um, and um, so between like um, seeing it as music and also understanding like a little bit of theory from poker or whatever, uh, I just have a massive appreciation of for all the options and, and the approaches that you can take within it. Um, and I also like the timelessness of it all. Like there's, have you ever watched that lady Sylvie? Um, she's, uh, the Westerner with the most fights in Thailand. She, uh, no. she's incredible. She has, a she has a channel on YouTube. Uh, I, her last name, uh, is a rough one to remember, but if you look up like Sylvie Muay Thai, she's yeah she's she speaks the language and um she's fought so so much over there she has a rapport with like all the legendary fighters and she's basically like a, a walking time capsule for them so she transcribes like every specialist's like uh thoughts on technique and these things she learns them all and she makes she's she starts something called the muay thai video library um, and it's crazy because like so many of these people are like passing and they have so much knowledge and they have no way to like get it out to the entire world. And she's basically that. Um, and she's like a beast. So I, I enjoy like, yeah, I enjoy the, the timelessness of like the clinch and these kind of things and just all the options yeah. and, and that, and also incorporating it into like, um, current styles within like kickboxing and boxing and these things. What about you? Uh, what I loved about it when I was practicing was, I mean, I loved how it made me feel physically. I was incredibly tough. That was the toughest I've ever been. Like my shoulders were really broad. I've always had like broad swimmer type shoulders and they just were like muscled. And I loved that feeling of being strong. Cause when I started doing it, I was in university and I was so, shy and um yeah very self-deprecating and very much very little short canadian small town girl who you know wouldn't say anything to anyone and it was a way for me to kind of tap into a sense of aggression that felt positive and healthy that was allowable which is something that i got out of poker as well when i started playing poker that i loved about it like aggression is rewarded when it's you know measured and smart and there's nothing kind of mindless and violent about it and I loved, I loved sparring so much. I loved sparring so, so much. And I actually did some competitions and I, the first fight that I ever had in a competition, I just got my ass kicked because I was terrified. All of a sudden someone was actually in a ring with me, trying, like chasing me around the ring, like beating the crap out of me. Mm -hmm. And I lost the first two fights I ever had. And then I won the next four and then I, I moved um, out of the country and I stopped fighting. But it was an amazing feeling to have that click in my head where I finally just, after I lost the second fight, I thought I still have to fight. It's this competition. It was like a sparring competition. I have to get back in the ring. I have to. I'm not going to stop. And I had to turn on a sense of aggression. So, yeah, the first time someone punched me full in the face and my neck snapped back, mm -hmm. I realized that it, it hurt, obviously, but it didn't hurt that much. Mm -hmm. Like it didn't, it didn't knock me out. It wasn't something that I was never going to get up from. It was literally a second of having someone punch me in the face. I bloody nose. It doesn't matter. 
I don't know, that sense of power felt really good for mm -hmm. me. And I loved it. And then, yeah, I got really involved later when I moved to London. I was looking for a gym and I did some of the, the film production stuff I did was actually some fight scenes for, you know, small things here, background fighter here, whatever. Nice. And I did some martial arts stuff. It was so much fun. Oh, my God. Training and doing fight moves for like filming was the best feeling. And then, yeah, I worked in television where we would bring in fighters from all of the biggest you know, clubs in Thailand and have these world champions fighting these other world champions and being able to be part of that and helping organize that and even doing a little bit of commentary, which was ridiculous. I was nowhere near the level I should have been for that. But it was the whole thing, being in that whole atmosphere. I just, there's something really magical about it. It's a yeah. beautiful sport. Like it's yeah. an absolutely beautiful sport to watch. And and it's brutal. Like it's hard when you're doing it. And so when you watch it and you know that it's so, <laughs> so hard, I don't know, it gives me a, an extra appreciation for what they do. But I had to stop fighting and training at some point because I, uh, I ended up getting really sick and I overtrained and I wasn't able to do it kind of ever again. And so I stopped watching it too. Mm. It was like so brutally painful to not be able to do it that I just kind of stepped away from it. And I poured all my energy into poker at that point and, and just like kind of let that almost obsession with it transfer into a different sport where I could do it. So that's interesting. Yeah. So your Muay Thai was like my music kind of. Yeah, art. exactly. Yeah. Just stopped it. And it literally got me into poker because a poker channel saw my TV show uh, about Muay Thai mm. and asked me to come and do a show, which is where I was like, oh, I've never played Texas Hold'em, but I played a lot of games growing up. I played a lot of card games. So why don't I learn? And that was it. And that was kind of my entrance into poker, which is, yeah, very much like your music then. That's crazy. Uh, what was your favorite technique? I'm just yeah. curious. Or like what? Yeah. Oh man, we're, we're like talking specialties. like a long time ago. We're talking 20 years ago for me because <clears throat> I have a few years on you. So it's been a, it's been a good, no way. it has been actually 20 years. Yeah. Since I fought. So I stopped right around just before I turned 30. So yeah. Um, I was always a big fan of elbows. My trainer in Canada, Mike Miles, national kickboxing in Calgary, okay. he used to say, your elbows are like knives. They should be like knives. And he would repeat that as we would like do all of our, all of the, oh, I can't even get my shoulders up that high anymore. It's terrible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I love that. I, slicer. I really loved elbows. Yeah, just slicing like the slicer. knives across things. <laughs> it okay. felt great. Yeah. It felt great. Okay, nice. Okay, so now let's go from that to, um, what's one of your most treasured memories? Uh... <clears throat> from the past, I guess, um, having my mom sing to me before bed is something that oh. sticks out a lot. Um, mm. uh, currently, um, watching Steve Albini win a bracelet was great. Um, those are the two that like, just like pop out. And then in between yeah. that, honestly, like, uh, the best recent time I've had in my life was probably like around, 2013 2014 where i was just living at that recording studio and mm -hmm. um there are just musicians who are great around there all the time i was playing a lot of music and playing a ton of poker and um steve would get done recording and then he like he cooks these amazing meals and we just like sit there and watch uh you know, like back then i think we were watching louis um 
Yeah. Which, you know, kind of gross, but <laughs> that show was so great. <laughs> but just eat food and, yeah, and, uh, yeah, and just hang out. Uh, those were really, really good times. So I guess yeah. that, that's three. Mm-hmm. What yeah. about you? Um, I would say there are a bunch of kind of moments that blend together from when I was a kid, just sort of sitting at the kitchen table with my mom and my sister and laughing or making them Mm. laugh. And that always felt really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. More recently I lived in California for like six months on my own in this old barn in Santa Barbara, right in the middle of town, but it had this old barn that had been built in the early 1900s and they used it to, um, wash underwear in like 1905 or something so it was called the panty barn (laughs) and i was able to rent it for six months and it was tiny and you could literally see daylight through the cracks in the boards and the Mm -hmm. ceiling and i fucking love that place so that is kind of my that whole six months is a sort of a happy place for me living in that tiny little place without even a real stove or anything what about it made you so happy um there was something about living there on my own that was just there was a really good sense of freedom I also lived in the backyard of two friends of mine Hmm. like they were the ones who told me it had come up for rent because they were renting their place and so just that kind of whole sense of community um you know if we wanted to I could have all my girlfriends over and we'd have a glass of wine and we'd talk and it was just there was something really beautiful about it and I loved it I've always kind of loved having my own space and being able to control it. And I had my record player and I was able to, you know, kind of listen to my own music. And that was something that was really important to me too. So, yeah. That's interesting to me. Like, okay. So question for you, but just, uh, from, for me, it's interesting. I don't, yeah, I guess I'm curious if you're this way at all. Um, for me, uh, I learned really early, like, I, I guess after, I was really social in California before uh, we moved to New Mexico, before my mom passed. I was like a social kid. I'd just go play sports all the time uh, with my friends. And then we moved to New Mexico and my mom passed. And then I kind of had to learn how to like enjoy my own company. Um, and then I, I just, I turned into like a really independent, like introverted, like social introvert, I guess. But I mostly just kept to myself and that's, the way I am now is kind of a learned behavior from that time, I think. Um, and now I feel very fortunate that I have like a lot of great friends, but I like don't see people much. I just kind of stay at home and work on my projects and enjoy that. And I prefer to just kind of be at home doing like in my routine or whatever, because yeah. there are just so many things that I want to do and I don't want to like suck at them. So I just want to like sit here and I just want to sit here and keep learning stuff and doing things, especially, mm. well, I don't want to get, yeah, this could go on. Um, but it's interesting <laughs> go because on. That's no, the point. <laughs> um, I'll forget my point. <laughs> yeah. Fair um, enough. <laughs> I guess, uh, I find it interesting personally that my, in spite of how, uh, stubborn I am about wanting to just be home alone doing my own thing. Like my happiest memories tend to be like these little Mm. blips into communities. Um, and then, so, and then you mentioned your happiest time being in the backyard of a few of your friends and just kind of having that option, I guess. Um, Mm. do you, are you typically, 
I mean, I understand your situation currently, like you're in a different country or whatever, and you're taking care of your child um, and options are kind of limited, but are you generally kind of a keep to yourself kind of person? Like, do you, are you similar that you'd stay home? Are you mostly a communal person? And then if you are a mostly stay at home person, do you find it also interesting that your happiest memory or your happy memories involve living in sharing two backyards with two of your friends? Sorry. <laughs> um, I am definitely, I do tend towards being pretty introverted. I think it, part of my childhood, just growing up reading books in fields by myself for days and days, it's kind of, you know, I was just comfortable. I'm really comfortable on my own. And it's funny because that place, the, the barn, it was great because I could be most of the time by myself, but I knew my friends were there. And so we would occasionally have that community and I loved that, but I felt like such a sense of relief to be able to have my space mm. and to not have that kind of infringed upon. Mm-hmm. It, it was really important to me. Um, but yeah, I've always been, well, I, I really like who I like. And I had a really great group of friends when I lived in England and I still talk to them a lot. And I've made some great friends in poker too. So I've been really lucky with that. But I don't go out very much. I'll be honest. Like, mm-hmm. especially in poker, I guess when I've been places, it's been for work. And I haven't really had the energy to do both, to be really social and to n- do my job as best I could. Mm-hmm. And so for me, when I'm at the World Series, I have to say no to a lot of people. And I I realized at some point people thought that I was saying no because I was doing other things. And I had to be really clear, like, no, 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 I'm going to go to bed. Like... I'm going to get some really nice takeout and I'm going to go to bed. And that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, cause I like that. I really like having time on my own and yeah, my situation right now doesn't lend itself to that because I have a three-year-old, but I do love having the time I do get to myself. Uh, and I love being able to parent her. She's an amazing kid. Um, the pandemic has meant that she and I have had more of each other's company than most kids her age. That's for sure. Like a lot of kids, you know, go to daycare or have other help, you know, come in and, and be with them. But the situation has been because she also she has a she has like a chronic lung problem. So we had to be really careful with her mm-hmm. in particular. Um, and yeah, so it's meant that we've been pretty isolated mm-hmm. and it's been strange not having that kind of interaction with people. I'm, I'm grateful that it's online and I can talk to people online, but I do miss it. Like I, I miss my friends. I miss being able to see people easily right now. Like the most friendly kind of interaction I get is when I go to the market and I talk to my cheese guy or I go talk to the lady who sells me bread or, you know, like, and I know them pretty well at this point, but that's kind of, that's kind of it. So it's a strange time in my life, I guess, yeah. but it's a period of time. It's not forever, but it is for now. And you know, there's a lot of really beautiful things in it. It's not the ideal, but there's a lot of beauty in it. So, yeah. Sometimes I wonder if like, um, this is, if, if we are in like a multiple life situation, if this is like my, my, this is the one where I try to understand like loneliness, you know? Mm. Um, but I don't know that like, I've really been that I don't know that it's like that deep a study in loneliness, mostly just like reclusiveness, if nothing else. Um, I hope that at the start, what's that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I hope that changes for you. Um, I mean, I hope like some more options Mm. like 
come around soon when things start opening yeah. up. I'm sorry. They um, will. No, I appreciate that. And honestly, it does feel like a study in that as well. Like that's yeah. how I kind of feel about it. And that's okay. When I decided that, you know, I wanted to have a child, um, part of it was about experiencing that part of life as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd had such a big life so far and I'd done so many different things and it's, it's been a lot and I wanted to do this. And so I've had the chance to really like <laughs> intimately do this parenting thing in a very small way. And that's not something everyone gets to experience. So I see the beauty in that too. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it's also mm-hmm. interesting that, I mean, I agree that, a lot of um, this time at the studio or whatever, that was a social time for me relative to how things are now. Um, Did have that option of isolation anytime I wanted to go in my room and just hang out or go downstairs and play an instrument like that existed. And I think, Mm -hmm. um, I think that's something that would, I don't know. I think that's a nice uh, perspective to have when you think about what a productive relationship should look like having that mm-hmm. option to be you be independent um and then spending like productive quality time together when it is productive when it is when it when it's going to be the most healthy um mm-hmm. and like giving the other person like some space to do their own thing um yeah. So, rather than it being an understood thing that you will spend all of your free time mm-hmm. together forever. Exactly. Yeah. hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. Or that you have to make yeah. concessions with like, with regard to your identity to, mm-hmm. to turn into a person that the other person sees you as or whatever. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's, that was, I'm glad you kind of pointed out the, um, that you did have that, like, I I guess I was, I thought it was interesting that I'm such an isolated person, um, but my happy memories are social. But yeah. like when you bring up the fact that you, it was optional, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's good perspective to have for me. And yeah, good to think about that in the context of other relationships too. And totally agree with yeah. you on the World Series stuff. I never see anybody. And I've, <laughs> I've gotten to the point where I've stopped like, my friendships where I have to explain all the reasons why I can't hang out with people. Like I don't have the energy for that anymore. It's just like anyone who's worth having around, like I want, like we're friends because I like you and I would love to spend time with you, but like, they just understand that I can't see them and I'm not going to start listing out reasons why I can't hang out with people anymore. It's just like, that's more exhausting than anything. Definitely. (laughs) Like you shouldn't have to. Yeah. No, for sure. Anyhow, sorry. (laughs) No, please. This has been a really lovely talk. I have enjoyed this. Um, That's the 45 minutes and I, yeah, I barely scratched the surface. So (laughs) I hope that it felt not too probing, but interesting enough for you as well. No, it was great. Thanks. I'm sorry. Um, What? (laughs) No, please don't apologize. I'm not sure why, but no. Uh, Yeah. And if I, if you wanted to keep going, I'm happy to. And if you've got to go, then that's fine. It's just oh, it's your call. I appreciate that. No, we stick to the 45 minutes yeah, cool. pretty much. Yeah, more or less. But yeah, and then we just get as many questions in that time as we do. And yeah, we definitely didn't hit as many, but I kind of like the way it went. And thank you for like asking me too. I appreciate that. It was nice to have more of a conversation than 
kind of peppering you with questions, which is sometimes what I do. So. Oh, you're a very interesting like person to get to know. So thanks oh, for sharing that. as well. Okay. Well, thank you again. And thank everybody out there for listening. I hope you all feel like you know the person behind the cards and the results even better now. So join me next time on the Heart of Poker sponsored by 888 Poker.